Thank you for watching this message from the Bridge Church. Our mission here is to be a church for Christ, for community, and for the city. You're watching a message from our series called Messy Church. We're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And if this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know by emailing us at storiesatthebridgeilm.com. Thank you for watching, and God bless you. While there is a portion of today's scripture passage that has historically been and will continue to be controversial as it relates to women in the church, Paul's point and his main emphasis of this passage, you ready, is not about women in the church. If you read the verses and you pick up on some of the words, like be silent, he tells more than just the women to be silent in the church. So while I am most certainly going to address these verses that deal with women, we cannot allow ourselves to get hung up on any single one of these verses in this passage, and we have to remember their proper intent, their proper context so that we can understand what Paul is saying and why he is saying it, okay? All right. So, what Paul is going to show us in this passage is that the outworking of the Spirit in our lives is for the edification of the whole body and that there should be order to our times of worship when we gather together. This is, this is kind of like um, Paul's final message in this sort of five-part mini-series he's been going through and, and how the Holy Spirit manifests himself through us and as a church and what that should look like. So this is kind of the, the closing portion of that. So he's been dealing with the, the spiritual gifts and how the Holy Spirit uh, manifests himself through us as, a, as, as individuals and then as a church. And now he's kind of bringing that to a close and telling us what that should look like and how that should provide order for us. As well, throughout this time, there had been a, a number on the screen where you could text your questions to. Some of you texted questions to that number. Um, we're, we're not skirting those questions, but they, they will be answered uh, this week or the next two weeks through a blog post. So if you were one that did pose a question, we are definitely going to deal with that. Um, it, it will be on that blog post. All right, let's go ahead and jump in verse 26. Paul says, What then, brothers or, or brethren, believers... And what Paul's doing here, Paul is drawing them back. He's drawing us back to what he's just discussed in the previous verses, the ones that Pastor Ethan talked about last week. Paul is simply asking the Corinthians, in light of what I just said, in light of the fact that tongues are being spoken all over the place and people think you're nuts, in light of the fact that prophecy is used and unbelievers are becoming believers, what should be done? What should be done in light of that? And the simple answer to Paul's question is what he's really been saying throughout the entire letter. Basically, that if something becomes a stumbling block to other people, well, then maybe we should bring order to it, or perhaps we shouldn't do it at all. That's where he's going with this. He's continuing that theme of thinking about others before yourselves. Continue. He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or and interpretation. Now we've already spent significant time dealing with what these things are, the, the different uh, spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail since we've already done that, uh, explaining each gift and the different viewpoints and all that kind of stuff. If that is something that interests you and you miss that, 
Look on our website. We've got previous sermons. You can download manuscripts. You can read through that and, and get, get all of that explanation there. Subscribe to the podcast, however you want to do it. Um, but that's already been dealt with. So if you miss that, definitely go back and listen to that. Um, but for today, I'm not going to dive too far into that explanation. But what I want to draw our attention to is what's really interesting about what Paul says in these verses that a lot of times I think we miss. He says, when you come together, the, the whole family, the church, when you gather together, each one, every single one of you has something. Do you, do you, did you catch that? Do you see what he's saying here? He, he says that when you come together to worship Jesus, each one of us, every single one of us, has something. We each have some manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so what that means and what that looks like in our lives is that we all have something to contribute. When we gather together to worship our Lord, we each have something to contribute. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself in a room with a whole bunch of people that are a lot smarter than you? Anybody ever been there before? I, I, can remember, I can remember back to my first couple of weeks of seminary and, and sitting in class. Now, I had been discipled well. I came to faith in college. The, the guy that discipled me, you know, he taught me how to read scriptures, really how to study it. I felt like I had a good grasp on it. And you know, I had this, uh, I, I thought, a decent grasp on, on theology, you know, who God is and how we interact with him. Well, I remember sitting in class and, I, and hearing my professor and some of the other students talking and I'm like, yes, this is going to be good. And then they start talking about things like soteriology and ecclesiology and justification, sanctification, ex- expiation, propitiation. I mean, you guys get the picture. Like, I'm sitting here and I'm dumbfounded. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't have those words on my vocabulary list. I don't know what you're talking about. And so I sat there with my mouth shut the whole time, just not even listening at that point because I didn't know what they were talking about. So I just disengaged until they asked me a question and then I look even dumber because I have no clue what they were even mentioning before that. Paul says that's not what worship, your times of gathering, are supposed to look like. That's not why we gather on Sunday morning. He says when you come, each one of you has something to give. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and he is going to provide that person with something to contribute. And so when we gather during times like this to study and encourage one another... He says that each one of us should come ready to worship, but also to share what the Holy Spirit has given us. Some of you, you you might have an encouraging word for the person sitting next to you. Maybe the Spirit is leading you to pray for that person sitting next to you, or to just ask them, hey, is there something that I can be praying for you? The Holy Spirit will prompt you, and whatever it is, just listen to the Spirit as He leads you to worship and to share that. Now, the the issue the Corinthians were having was not that they were not willing to share what the Holy Spirit was telling them. The issue here was that there was a lot of chaos and disunity in their times of worship when the whole church gathered, right? The whole church was prophesying or speaking in tongues, and there's just this mass chaos. There's no order to it, and so nobody had a clue what was going on. And Paul says in verse 26, he says, let all things be done for building up. You see, the Corinthians, when they gathered, they were coming together and they were exercising their gifts in, in a, a sort of self-development or self-display, like their, their own personal enjoyment kind of way. That's, that's why they were using the manifestations of the Spirit. That's why they would prophesy or speak in tongues, because they were building themselves up. 
They were not thinking about using what the Holy Spirit had given them for the benefit of people around them. Rather, they were seeking their own gain. Right? This, is, this was seen a few weeks back when we, when we looked at the communion passage and how they were coming into communion thinking about what they could get for themselves, not what they could give for other people. This goes completely against the purpose, one, the purpose of Christianity, but also the purpose of spiritual gifts. Paul says that you should be using what the Holy Spirit gives you for the edification of people around you. The Holy Spirit uses us for the building up and for the edification of others. It's not purely for our own gain. It is for other people around us. The whole purpose of having some sort of manifestation of the Holy Spirit is to benefit others. We don't share what the Holy Spirit has given us so that we can hear ourselves talk more or to hear how awesome we sound or how smart we think we are. We share because the Holy Spirit wants to use us to build up other people and encourage them. I love this. The reason I love this is because Paul is constantly reminding the Corinthians and us that Christianity is not an individualistic thing. Right? Being a Christian is not about yourself. You don't just become a Christian and sit in a corner and hide. Christianity is a community thing. What the Holy Spirit does through us is not for our own gain. It is for the benefit and the edification of those around us. And he's pointing us to a community by saying, look, you can't build up other people if you're not with other people. You cannot build up the community of believers if you're not a part of the community of believers, which is reason number 213 that you should join a community group. <laughs> right? So Paul's reminding us here, guys, that community is very important. And community is so important that we should not allow anything to cause division and chaos especially, especially the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit. Those should be the last things that cause division in the church. If the Holy Spirit is working in us, that should never cause division. What he's really getting at is the unity and diversification of the gifts in the church. He's saying, you know what, one person has this ability, this other person has this ability, but all together, those are used to build up the church. You see, while we all have something, we should be unified in the outpouring of the Spirit for the sole purpose of edifying one another. And I asked this question a few weeks back when we talked about communion, so I'm going to ask it again. Do you show up here on Sunday thinking about what you can give or about what you can get. Paul says that we all have something to give. And the point of gathering is not for ourselves. The point of gathering is for those around us. Verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Where we are moving now is into specific instructions on how we are to conduct ourselves during our times of worship like we are here today. And Paul stresses in the previous verses, each one of us has a spiritual gift, and now he's going to kind of outline and show us how we can use those 
to build up one another and provide order and structure. And the reason he's getting at this is because a spiritual gift is only helpful if it is used properly, right? A spiritual gift is only helpful to those around you if it's used in its proper place at the proper time. So should we be ready to share? Yes, but only if it's done properly. Now, specifically in this verse, these, these couple of verses here, Paul's talking about tongues. And in the next several verses, he's going to deal with some other spiritual gifts, some other manifestations of the Spirit. But what he says here is he says, if you have a tongue, then it can be spoken. But how? It should be spoken one at a time, and at most three during your times of gathering. So at most one, I'm sorry, one at a time, but at most three. Now, this might sound kind of silly at first, like, Paul, why would, you, why would you put some kind of stipulation on exactly how many people could share? Well, it's because of what he just said in a few verses back when he's talking about, look, if you're all standing up at the same time and everybody's speaking in tongues and no one has a clue what's going on, people are going to walk in and think you're nuts, right? They just walk in, they hear all this gibberish, they think you're crazy. So there needs to be some order here. Now, just for clarification's sake, I want to make sure we're all on the same page when, when we're talking about tongues. Last week, Ethan defined that for us, and he used a, a quote from Sam Storms. I want to throw that back up here for you. I think it's a good summary of what tongues are. He defines them as the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you might have learned. Okay, this is what, what we're talking about when we talk about tongues. Now, he gives a more specific instruction about tongues. So can you share your tongue? Yes. One at a time, at most three, only, here's the big stipulation, here's the kicker, only if there is an interpreter present. If there is no interpreter present, he says to keep your tongue to yourself, right? So if there's no interpreter present, then you should not utilize that gift of the Spirit. Now what's really interesting about this is that this particularly shows us tongues are not some random ecstatic thing. But to some degree, the person who the Spirit is working through in this particular way has the ability to withhold that gift at that time to be used later. So it is not just some random babbling that everyone does uncontrollably, but it is something that is self controlled. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Again, the emphasis of Paul in this verse is order and edification. Prophecy, just like tongues, is to be done one at a time. And for what purpose? For encouraging other people. That is the order that he has set in place. Now, practically speaking, this is going to look a little bit different for our church. There may be times where you have the opportunity to come up, share a scripture, explain kind of what the Lord is doing in your life through that, that may be an opportunity for you. We did that a few weeks ago at the, the night of prayer and unity. We literally just had Mike sitting on the floor. You could come up. You could share a scripture. You could pray. That was one way that we allowed for the Holy Spirit to use you 
to share and encourage one another. Now, we don't have it all figured out as to how it really looks on Sunday morning. We're still working through that. We've allowed for people to come up and share a scripture. We continue to allow that. We love to see the way the Holy Spirit works through that. But this is still a work in progress. But for the most part, for the most part, the majority of the time this is going to take place is on the community group level, which is reason number 214 why you should join a community group. Right? I, I love the way uh, Pastor J.D. Uh, Greer says this. He says that what we do in here, specifically talking about Sunday morning, what we do in here ought to be reflective of what is happening on the community group level, which ought to be reflective of what is happening in your own private time with God. And as the group changes, so do the parameters of freedom. Or in other words, as your time with God grows, and as you grow through that time, so our times of weekly worship and gathering together will grow. Your time with God will be evident and will play out in your community group. And then when we gather here on Sunday, our time with God and what has been going on in community group, like prayer, encouragement, and discipleship, those things should be expressed here. We gather on Sunday mornings to pray, to sing praise, to study God's word, to disciple one another, to speak words of encouragement from the Lord to one another. What we do in here should be a continuation of what is going on in your own daily life. You see, we live in a culture, and more specifically, we live in a Christian subculture that believes that Sunday morning is the only spiritual day of the week. Many people think about Sunday being the, the one part of our spiritual life, whereas Scripture makes it very clear that Sunday and our, and our times of gathering together should be a continuation of our spiritual lives. Sunday morning is not the only one time a week that we can be spiritual. Sunday morning is the time that we gather as a family in a continuation of our communion with God throughout the rest of the week. See, I've heard it explained this way before, that for some, their, their walk in with Christ can be described as a balloon, right? They, they, get, they, they come in here on Sunday morning, and they get smacked by the pastor so that they're floating up in the air, right? They're on their spiritual high, and then as the week goes by, you know, they're not full of helium, they're, they're just full of my hot breath, and so they, they fall down to the, to the ground, and so they come back on Sunday, and we smack them back up so that they can float for a little bit longer, and then they come back and we smack them again. That's not the purpose of Sunday worship gathering. Sometimes, yes, you need the support and the edification of what happens here on Sunday, but Sunday shouldn't be the one time where you get that edification, where you get that encouragement, and where you're built up. It should be a continuation of what's happening throughout the rest of your week. God's word in your personal time with God throughout the week should be what is sustaining you, not just what happens here on Sunday morning. This is great, and you get to hear the word, and you get to worship together as a body, and that's very important, but this shouldn't be the only thing sustaining you throughout the week. See, the reason Paul's talking about all of this is the way he concludes these verses by saying, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You see, if, this, if there is disorder and there is chaos in the church, then it is because of something that you are doing, not because of something that God is doing. See, God is a God of peace, and he's a God of ultimate peace. See, some of you here today, perhaps you've never experienced this peace. The ultimate peace that is given to us through faith in Jesus. See, Jesus took your chaos and he took your shame and he brought order to it by dying on the cross. 
And this peace, this peace that you hear people talk about, and yes, Paul's talking about peace and order within the church, but what he's pointing us to is this ultimate peace that is brought about by forgiveness and confidence in knowing that Jesus has done everything necessary for your salvation. If you've never trusted, you've never believed that, I challenge you right now, I urge you right now by praying and confessing your sin, profess that faith in him. You see, when, when we surrender, when we do that in our lives, then the things that we just talked about and what we're about to talk about, these things are much easier for us to discuss because we're going to be putting ourselves aside and we're going to be pursuing Christ. We're going to be following his example. When, he's, when he laid down his life, we follow that by laying down our lives and our preferences and going where he leads us. Verse 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. I see that those of you who were sleeping have now sprung awake and have whipped out your pens ready to take notes. Here we go. All right, now, listen, we... We have to remember, we must remember, this is not just some randomly inserted verse by Paul to oppress or to cast women down. This is not Paul's intention. He didn't just throw these verses in here to discourage women in the church. Paul has been dealing with, and he is continuing to deal with, order and structure when they gather to worship. For Paul to have put this in right here in this context, there must have been something going on in the church at Corinth to mandate that. Something was happening that was causing disorder and disunity. That is why Paul is bringing this up right now. Let me start by saying this. These verses can be extremely controversial, and there are many different opinions on these verses and what is happening in Corinth at this time, and even to why Paul is saying that and what he means by saying that. So there are lots of opinions out there. I'm going to try to expose a couple of them to you. But secondly, we have to remember that these verses in no way teach that women are in any way less in the eyes of God or that they lack anything in their relationship with God. God speaks to and he gives to women just as he does to men. If you read your Bible, you will see this very clearly. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the truth that we see is that God gives to women the same manifestations of the Spirit as he does to men. Okay, We've already seen that in our studies here in 1 Corinthians, and we see that in other places in Scripture where Paul talks about women praying and we talks about them prophesying. We see women serving as deacons in the New Testament church. We see women like Deborah who serves as a judge and judges for presiding over Israel. Women have access to every spiritual gift that men do, get this, because they have the very same Holy Spirit dwelling within them as men do. There is a significant resistance, significant resistance to the idea of differing gender roles and specifically as it relates to headship and submission. That word we all love, submission. I tried, I tried to find a, a, a version of the Bible that took that word out. 
uh, without completely changing everything else. It, it doesn't exist. So it's in there, right? <clears throat> it's also part of preaching through books of the Bible, right? For, we're going through all of 1 Corinthians. We're not skipping anything. We're not hiding behind anything. We're going straight through. But this resistance, I, I think this resistance against this concept, I think, I think it comes from a couple of places. First, we all resist, right? We all resist submission. We have all, at some point in our lives, resisted giving up control. That's the nature of the gospel. That's what the gospel tells us, that we all resisted that, right? God is meant to be in control of our lives and in, in, of our hearts, and, and we resist that. We're broken, we're sinful, we've rebelled, we turn against following him, we resist giving God full control of everything in our lives because of our sin. We've all resisted submission. Secondly, we live in a world where the idea of male headship has been grossly misused. Okay, I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into details of how women through the centuries have been oppressed and misused. I mean, I don't even have to mention to you about the number of women who continue to be abused, sexually exploited, kept out of school, even worse, um, across the world and in our own nation. I'd be willing to say that everyone in this room probably knows someone who, in the context of a relationship, has been verbally abused, physically abused, or worse. Even be willing to say that everyone in the room probably knows a woman who has, uh, in her career, was not afforded some opportunity that a male counterpart would have been offered. All of these things send a message to women. And that message is that they are less valued, less important, or less significant than any man. That is not how God sees women. So the resistance to the roles of headship and helper, it's understandable. right? It, it, it makes sense because of the world we live in. I get it. Right? We, we understand why this is such a difficult concept because of the way that we see women treated in our culture and around the world. But just because something has been misused doesn't mean that the thing in its pure context is inappropriate or wrong. Right? The church in, in church history, there were times where the, the church went astray and did some terrible things, but we didn't just throw that away. When it is used in the correct way, it can be a healthy and beautiful, beautiful thing. Okay, think of it this way. We see, we see this concept of head and helper. Right? The, the man in a marriage functions as the head and the woman functions as the helper. This is not meant in a way to put priority of the man over the woman, but this concept of head and helper is a mirror, it's a reflection of how Christ operates with his church. Christ is the head of his bride, the church. And the way that he displayed that is by giving his life up and sacrificing all that he was for the sake of his bride. That's what male headship looks like in a marriage and in the church. By sacrificing your life for the good of others. The idea of helper is supposed to, supposed to be in submission is, is often talked about. But this must be considered the head is supposed to be living a life of sacrifice. I, I, I need to make this exceptionally clear that headship in the home and headship in the church should never be one that reflects rudeness and disrespect. That is not biblical headship. That is not biblical leadership. Humble sacrifice and laying down of your life is what biblical leadership and biblical headship look like. 
So the working out of these roles is it's not one better than the other, but it's a life of mutual submission and mutual sacrifice. And when that's worked out, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, one of the practical ways that, that we try to, to, to do this here at the Bridge Church, just one way of several, but uh, one that came to mind when thinking through this, is the way that we do sermon planning. Okay, if, you're, if you're not familiar with that, uh, what that looks like is each week we have a meeting set where we bring our rough draft of the sermon and, and we, we deliver that and there's some people sitting in the room. Well, there are some men and there are some women sitting in the room. Right? We value the opinion there. Not only that, but how it plays out in, in my life. My wife is, uh, is almost always the first person to ever hear any sermon that I write. The reason for that is because God is working in, in her life and she has a perspective that maybe I don't have and God can speak through her to help me understand what he is saying. Our goal here at the Bridge Church is to enable women to utilize the gifts that God has given them in whatever realm, so long as it is used in its proper order and place. Now, with all that being said, Scripture is clear, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, about roles and positions that are strictly reserved for both men and women. Right? God created men and women with an intended purpose and intended roles. In the Old Testament, women were not to be priests. That was a role that God clearly gave to the men. And in the New Testament, the way that we see that reflected in the New Testament is that women should not serve as elders or pastors. That term there, elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, however you want to translate that, there's one word there in the Greek, it's all the same. Translate that as elder or pastor. That is reserved for male leadership. However, none of that means that a woman can't exercise the same gifts that a man does, which include both leadership and teaching. What it means is that if you have that gift, the reservation is for the capacity of elder or pastor. So can women teach? Yes. Can they pray? Can they read? Can they prophesy? Can they lead? Absolutely. We see that all throughout Scripture, but not in the capacity of an elder or pastor. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, God forbids one kind of role in the church to women as he did in Israel. We must not jump from that to forbidding all teaching and tasks to women, and we shouldn't assert all sorts of specific tasks are off limits to women. For example, working outside the home, teaching males over 12, speaking from the front of the church. It is better to say that everything a man who is not an elder can do, a woman can do also. See, the Bible teaches us that women are equal to men as they stand before God and as it relates to gifting, but are distinctively different when it comes to the roles that they are to play in the family and church. You can say it this way, men and women are equal in essence, but distinct in function. Equal in essence, but distinct in function. You know what's beautiful about that? That's the Trinity. Equal in essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equal in essence, but distinct in function. When the Son says, I willingly lay down my life because it's the will of the Father, distinct in function, equal in essence. What a beautiful Beautiful picture. Difference in function is not a bad thing. It is a beautiful thing. Just like diversity in ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and age, and gender, so too diversity in function provides edification and beauty within the church and the family. 
distinction and diversity of our roles puts God on display when we live it out with humility and submission to Him. Now, ladies, I want to make sure that you hear me very, very clearly. You have as much access to God as any man does. You have a specific calling on your life that God has placed there. You are given the same spiritual gifts as men. And you can tap into all of that while still respecting God's order. Right? You, you can tap into all of that while still respecting God's order. We see that play out in Scripture. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, one specific example, I mentioned her earlier, but Deborah. Deborah was a judge presiding over Israel. She was given that particular gift. She was given that particular leadership capacity. And yet, when asked to take other roles that she knew were specifically reserved for men, she declined. Because she respected the order that God had in place. Was she still in leadership? Yes. Was she still equal in essence? Yes. But she knew and respected that she was distinct in function. Now, as it relates specifically to this passage, I mentioned already that there are many opinions about these verses. Now, in a lot of my research, it seems that there, there was a lot of chaos going on in the church in Corinth when they were gathering to worship. Now, besides the craziness as it related to tongues and the prophecy that was happening, there also seemed to be some disruption that was happening there in the church. Some commentators and some historians believe that one thing that could have been going on was to some degree, some women in the church were causing disruption. right? And Paul was reprimanding. Paul was reminding them and disciplining them that there should be order and not chaos. Now, to give you a little bit of context here, in the early church, the way that the worship gathering would have looked, there was a section for the women and there was a section for the men. Right? They didn't sit together. They sat separately. Well, if what some of these commentators say is true, what likely was happening was that some of the women had a question for their husband. And so, what did they do? They yelled at their husband across the room to ask for clarification. And then he would yell back to her, and then you have people yelling back and forth while someone's trying to talk. And then nobody knows what's going on. And everybody walks away in a worse place than they were when they came in. That seems to likely be kind of what Paul's addressing. Keeping in line with order and structure there within the church. It's clear though, from looking at other passages, that when Paul talks about keeping silence... Paul doesn't expect that when a woman comes into the room that there's never a peep that ever comes out of her mouth, right? He doesn't expect that if you walk in, ladies, and you sneeze, that you are in sin and need to confess and repent, right? That's not what he is saying. Paul already has mentioned women prophesying and praying and singing songs of praise and hymns and psalms in the church gathering. Paul is not saying... Again, that you shouldn't just come in and never open your mouth, period. Paul, like in 1 Timothy 2, is using terminology where a woman is quiet and learning with submissiveness. 
What Paul is reiterating again in these passages is the headship that God has put in place. And he is reminding us, he's reminding all of us, that humility and love is how we should approach our lives. Humility and love is how we should approach our lives. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Paul concludes this whole section, this kind of mini-series here on the manifestations of the Spirit by reminding the Corinthians that he is an apostle appointed by Jesus. He's reminding them, he's reminding them of his authority, of his apostleship given to him directly by Jesus. See, there were, there were plenty of people, it would seem, that were opposed to what Paul was saying and perhaps even that were questioning whether or not Paul was really an apostle, right? So perhaps these, these people were prophets, and, and maybe they were trying to discount what Paul had previously instructed them. Paul reminds them, in closing, that these were commands not set forth by Paul, but set forth by Jesus. And that if anybody does not recognize the commands and abide in the commands of Jesus, then perhaps, perhaps that person will not be recognized by Jesus. Paul's conclusion is that we have to remember worship gatherings need balance, freedom, and order. In our worship gatherings, we need to balance freedom of the Holy Spirit and order. Here at the Bridge Church, the way that we say this is prepared but authentic. Right? Prepared but authentic. We want to have order and structure to how we do things, but we don't want to structure and order things in such a way that when we leave, no room for the Holy Spirit to work. Right? We, we want to structure and order things, but we want to structure and order things in a way that leaves room for the Holy Spirit to do work here. We want to experience the Holy Spirit's presence. We don't want to be a church that continues to do things and never sees the Holy Spirit work. So, do we have printed orders of what the worship gathering should look like and what should happen and when? Yes. Right? We know what songs are going to be sung. It's not a surprise to the tech team that someone's singing the song. We know who's preaching, I hope. And there's also a countdown clock that tells me that I'm preaching too long. But the, the beauty of this, the beauty of this is that even though we've prepared, we know and we even expect that the Holy Spirit is going to work and that everything is likely not going to happen as planned, right? So if, if the band sings an extra verse or sings a, a song that wasn't on the list, that's great. We celebrate that, right? We celebrate if I preach for an extra 45 minutes. That's awesome, <laughs> right? That is the Holy Spirit working through our people and using them to build up and encourage the body. So is there structure and is there order? Absolutely but not in such a way that we don't allow for the Holy Spirit to work. So if the keyboard falls apart in the middle of a song, right? we, we worship God. Because what that points to is not us doing something, but that draws us back to Him 
where we can worship Him and be reminded of how awesome He is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you for submitting and being willing. Holy Spirit, please work. Please work in this place, work in our hearts. Remind us of the gospel. Remind us of what Jesus has done in our place and on our behalf. We can submit to him because he has shown us great sacrifice by taking upon himself our shame, by taking upon himself our sin, laying down his life for us to give us abundant life. Jesus, we thank you for that. We worship you for that. Holy Spirit, continue to to use us in this place. Continue to speak through us. Work. Do your work here. Melt those hearts of stone. Lord Jesus, may your name be praised.